the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is the final day of November. That would make it November 30th, 2023, in case you're not keeping track. But if you aren't and you want to start, do so quickly because there's only 31 days left and the year is over with. My, my, how time flies. Well, uh, hopefully time will fly for you on your commute home today. we got lots to talk about on the program. We have, of course, our weekly feature, Church of the Week, coming up tonight in hour number two. Quick program note tomorrow night, Dr. Michael Youssef will join us on the program. He'll be along um, somewhere in the five o'clock hour for a conversation. He's got a new book out. We'll talk about that, get his take on, um, you know, other things going on in the world. So uh, look forward to that conversation. Dr. Michael Youssef coming up tomorrow on Life line. As we lead off the program, I'm excited to get a chance to talk to this first guest. I first learned about them I don't know, maybe six or eight months ago. And although I will note, this is not a best-kept secret by any means. Um, this ministry organization has had an incredible impact uh, in the city and elsewhere. Um, and it is, in a sense, love on wheels. And if you think I'm talking about the love bug Herbie, no. <laughs> Here to explain, Christian Wong, he is the founder of Mobilize Love and, coincidentally, also the chaplain of the San Francisco Giants. And uh, Christian, good to have you with us. Thank you so much, Craig, for having me. I appreciate it. This is an exciting concept, and I, and I, and I guess to, to kind of um, dispel the curiosity of listeners as to why I'm stoked up, um, I, I learned about you guys as I said, about, about six months ago or so. And, uh, you know, the notion of, you know, Scripture tells us to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And, and what better example of doing that than to meet felt needs and do it in such a fashion where you're literally going into areas that are not served or underserved and addressing significant felt needs for the community from children on up. Tell us a bit about the original concept. How did this all come about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, that is the progression of John three sixteen and 17 is, you know, God loved, God gave, and then God sent. And so, uh, you know, what we like to say is uh, love shows up, you know. God could have said, I love you from afar, but he didn't. He he sent his son. True love has to show up, and and so that is the idea. So mobilized love, we exist to show up and give hope. And uh, you know, obviously, hope is a is a big word. But when you double click on it, as believers, we know the ultimate hope, the perpetual hope, is God's love. But um, the practical hope is you know things that we that we do with our trucks. And so we have a fleet of trucks that goes to these neighborhoods. And we're really, you know, targeting actually, um, we hope to serve really children and low-income families is who we primarily serve in these neighborhoods. And we do a bunch of things. 
One of the, the first trucks, and we'll have you take a moment and talk about the, the variety of ways in which you're engaging in that kind of, you know, in the trenches kind of ministry. But one of the one of the first mobile trucks that you guys put out into the city was a laundry truck. And people might think, a laundry truck? Well, can't folks just go down to the, you know, the, the local uh, laundromat and get their laundry done? But, you know, in many cases, there is none nearby, or there may be a practical standpoint from, uh, you know, having to lug dirty laundry, maybe even expense stands in their way. And it seems to me that something as basic as allowing somebody to get a fresh load of laundry done to help give them a sense of, of dignity, such a, a basic aspect of humanity. And, and what a great way to just have a simple entree into being able to, uh, to minister to felt needs and eventually spiritual needs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is interesting that the laundry truck was the first truck, uh, but it was actually inspired by my wife, who was reading an article about a young girl being bullied because her her clothes smelled. And uh, we told that story to a donor, um, not even expecting anything. We're just sharing, you know, some of the needs amongst children. And and this woman was like, hey, I want to I want to build a laundry truck. And I was like, well, if you fund it, we'll build it. And and that was the first truck to be funded and built. But since then, yeah, it's it's uh, the laundry truck was the first one. Then we built a stage truck, which is our mobile after school program. And then the food truck, which interestingly launched the week before shelter in place, uh, right, right before COVID. And that was a unique blessing because we were able to still operate because we were outdoor, we were mobile. We built this truck in faith for a year and a half. And then we launched it at just the right time when the city needed it and uh, so those were the first three trucks and then from there we we just kept expanding and now we're up to actually 11 trucks so it seems like really since that that first vision for the laundry truck in 2018 uh there there's been a, a different concept a different the branch of needs if i'll call it that um, emerging year after year after year you mentioned the laundry truck the stage truck the food truck you've got a mobile stories truck that goes out and helps to tackle the issue of of literacy amongst young children uh refrigerator truck that can provide um, and you know underserved communities that are dealing with the food shortages and you know it's hard to believe in America that that's an issue but uh, if you look at the the uh, the challenges economically in a place like San Francisco uh, we know from statistics far too many people uh, suffer from food insecurity but all of this interestingly enough Christian really culminates in the idea of, of addressing the felt needs as a means to kind of um, gain trust and um, an opportunity, therefore, to be able to share the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we have we have three pillars of our work and, you know, there's no shortage of meeting physical needs and a lot of nonprofits meet physical needs. But I think what makes us unique, though, is we meet physical needs um, and we're mobile. We go directly to people. They don't have to come to us. We try to look and we vet we vet for neighborhoods that uh, where there are gaps. You know, there's housing projects without any resources. Um, and so we, we're looking for the gaps in the city where, where families don't have to travel. We'll go to them. But meeting physical needs is unique um, in that sense. A lot of nonprofits do that, but what makes us unique is, I think the, the number one thing we do is our flagship program. It's a mobile after-school program for kids. It's, it's, it's teaching kids personal life skills. So that's the thing that we're ultimately hoping for. That's, the, that's creating systemic change, which is teaching children. You know, the Bible says, teach kids in the way they should go. When they're older, they won't, they won't depart from it. And so we feel, you know, for, for children to have a fair shot at life, to kind of break the cycles of, of, of generational poverty, generational 
you know, things that are going on in their neighborhoods for generations, we got to teach them certain things. And so we teach three basic things, social, emotional learning, spiritual life lessons, which is the Bible, and then literacy. Those are the three unique things that we're, we're, we're after. So we'll meet physical needs all day and we'll serve everyone in the community in hopes that we'll plant that kids program to really teach children. And, you know, it would be difficult for any parent to turn something like that down. I mean, we all want the best for our kids. Some people are not in a, <laughs> pardon me, in a position to be able to provide them the very best because of economic circumstances and whatnot. But yet to be able to say, hey, if there's something that will help my child excel, uh, to have a greater sense of self-esteem, to uh, to be a responsible member of society, and to also gain some very critical life skills, like literacy, my goodness, one of the most basic uh, that anybody could think of. Uh, it really opens up a great door of opportunity. I would imagine, uh, Christian, not only to minister to the kids, but even to the parents. Craig, you're so right. I mean, honestly, it's so funny. The lessons we're teaching, like the social emotional learning lessons of like forgiveness and affirmation and, um, you know, responsible decision making, the parents are eating up these lessons even more so than the kids sometimes. They're at the edge of their seat listening to the skits and the drama. They're participating in the crafts. They're, they're doing the things that we hand out, you know, and the, the families, the, the, the parents, I, we have fathers that are pulling out books on the stories truck, gathering their kids around and reading in our stories tent. Um, I, I honestly could say that parents, when they sit through the, the program, they are just as engaged as the kids are. In fact, they get mad at the kids for distracting them <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, understandably so. Uh, Christian, final question. Folks eavesdropping on the conversation that maybe like me are going, wow, what a neat thing. I didn't realize this existed out there. And, you know, I, I've got some time. I'd like to volunteer or get involved. How can folks find out more about Mobilize Love? Absolutely. Please visit us on our website, mobilizelove.org. You can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at mobilizelove. And, uh, yeah, we have a large citywide outreach in partnership with the Giants at Oracle Park actually on December 9th. So we're looking for volunteers for that. You can uh, sign up online, mobilizelove.org. Just look for the event called Love the City, and then you can register there. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're a busy man between this full-time ministry and then serving as chaplain for the Giants. That's, uh, that's a pretty busy schedule. I love doing both because, you know, whether we're helping kids, you know, in, in some of the roughest neighborhoods in San Francisco or we're helping pro athletes, you know, the reality is everyone needs the same thing. They're all looking for love. They all have a God-shaped hole in their heart. And uh, they all want to eat well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and and confirm something for me, because uh, I think this is kind of an exciting milestone, too. Uh, you are the first Asian-American chaplain anywhere in Major League Ball. Is that correct? Yes. I had to, I had to actually ask our national leader if that was true or not, because um, I, I believe that is true. And so far, it has not been rebuttaled because he says I am, and I, I believe I am, and so I don't think there is, uh, there was another one before me. So, well, I know now, certainly, yeah. certainly not in Bay Area baseball because I've known a few of the guys down through the years. Uh, so, well, congratulations on that. That's uh, that's a great little milestone as well. Uh, and again, uh, continued uh, blessings to you with your ministry, not only with the Giants but certainly with Mobilize Love across San Francisco. Information available again on the web at Mobilize. 
MobilizeLove.org. It is really Love on Wheels. MobilizeLove.org. And there is its founder and the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants, Christian Huang. It's 517. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. We turn a corner to another amazing local ministry. Kind of get an update as to uh, the year that was. Well, I don't want to rush the year on us. We've got 31 days yet to go in 2023. But it's been it's been a, a, a time of great victories and some challenges for my next guest. She, of course, is the chief executive officer of Real Options, Valerie Hill. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? It feels a bit like it is, but maybe not. So maybe Merry Christmas, anyway. Merry Christmas, Craig. It's, well, you know, we're in the season. Absolutely. It's, it's happening. It is It is upon us whether we're ready for it or not. <laughs> Usually I'm not ready for it. Hey, Valerie, let's talk a bit about uh, this year. I, I know that there's been some great milestones and some great victories. There's also been some big challenges. Kind of walk us through your sort of 30,000-foot perspective on the highlights of uh, Real Options during 2023. Okay, I would love to do that. Um, God has been very good to us. We we try to keep the positive going, and we have we're on track right now to serve over twenty seven hundred unique patients with over sixty three hundred life affirming medical services in our in our clinics, and along with our optimal health uh, consultations and support services. So. For instance, we provided over 8,000 material items, such as maternity and baby clothes, diapers, formula to moms and families in need, even car seats when they need one. And uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to see what the Lord is doing and be a part of what the Lord is doing every day, despite the challenges. And that's, you know, that's pro-life work, especially here in California, as you and I know. It can be challenging legislatively and uh, and all of that, but he's just doing so much. Our education program has grown amazingly. Over 2,300 students and parents have been invested over 11,900 hours. Um, we have invested over 11,900 hours of impact in the lives of those students, many of them in public schools, in uh, San Jose, the East Bay, all around the Bay, um, in here, you know, it's pretty amazing that God opens these doors to us and gives us access to um, help address the social and, emo- and emotional health of our students and empower parents and teachers and churches who are also navigating through unprecedented times and unprecedented challenges, trying to protect children and trying to pour into their hearts and their minds and help them make good decisions and and learn about healthy boundaries, learn about their love language and all the great things that are happening in our curriculum. So lots of good and exciting things. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the, the rough part. Um, we've had a chance to even talk some attorneys regarding this. Um, the, the hostility of California toward anything that seems to be even pro-choice, and I, and I, and I use that phrase intentionally so because right. there's, there's an interesting dynamic that oftentimes the, the, the side that favors abortion on demand will, will tell 
tout themselves or even label themselves as being quote unquote pro choice, and yet when you talk about well, okay, when we're going to discuss the matter of pro choice, that would mean that there's there's a an inferred selection available to me. I mean, if I went to the buffet and right. they were only serving Salisbury steak, I would say this is not much of a buffet. There are no choices here. So exactly. if we're going to give women informed information, uh, empowerment rather, uh, by informing them of all of the options available to them so that they truly have, quote unquote, choice, then it goes Correct. without saying that, you know, I, I think you'd have to live underneath a rock to not know that abortion exists in America. But far too many women who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy, they're under pressure from family, from personal matters, from perhaps a boyfriend or a husband, whatever it might be. Uh-huh. And right. they may not even have a moment to catch their breath to consider things like carrying the child to term placing the child up for adoption, services that are available from, you know, counseling during the pregnancy to prenatal care on through to even uh, post-delivery care. And so the notion of attacking organizations like Real Options that is trying to equip women with the full set of options, the other side of the story, so to speak, it's, it's really tragic that, that particularly government officials will move into that kind of a position. It is, it is tragic, and it's, it's um, totally against choice. It's totally against choice to tell women that we don't want you to know about the efficacy of abortion pill re- reversal. We don't want you to have the informed consent that you can reverse this process of chemical abortion um, if you change your mind after taking the first pill. And the sooner you do, the better. And we're not guaranteeing anything. And we're not, um, we're not saying there are no side effects, but the side effects are from the abortion pill, the mifepristone that was taken. Um, progesterone is a safe and effective drug for mothers and babies during pregnancy. I didn't say it wasn't without side effects, some women may get a little nauseous. Some women may uh, find themselves a little bit sleepy. There are different mild side effects. But if you want to reverse what the mifepristone did, that first chemical abortion pill, you can come in and we will give you additional progesterone and follow you with ultrasounds to make sure you're maintaining a viable pregnancy and you'll take that through the end of your first trimester to try to save your pregnancy and to save that baby, if that's what you want to do. And mothers should have that choice. No woman should be forced to continue an abortion she no longer wants or consents to. Yet they're trying to force us to hide this information. They don't want it advertised. They, they tell us that, um, you know, we're advertising. It's a free service. We have never charged for abortion pill reversal. Um, I don't understand how they're trying to use the law um, of commercial and advertising against a nonprofit that is here just to be compassionate and caring to women. And and there's physicians and and doctors all over the nation, including many, many, many pregnancy centers and medical clinics like Real Options that are equipped to provide this through the Abortion Pill Rescue Network. And that's the hotline that they will find if it's not suppressed. 
um, when they want to change their mind, and women change their mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if it's any consolation, and and probably not by much, but we were just talking yesterday on the program about what they're trying to do down in San Diego to essentially, in San Diego Diego County, uh, pass a measure that would basically outlaw, in effect, uh, pro-life clinics and uh, a tirade by a seated member of the Board of Supervisors that, oh, these these organizations, they're not licensed there. They don't have any medical professionals, which, of course, is an absolute lie. And, 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 and shows you just the level of subterfuge that they're willing to engage in. I, I don't know where the, some of these people in the hip pocket of the abortion industry, because, you know, money drives it all anyway. It's it's really sad. But let's turn to more pleasant things before our time winds up, uh, Valerie. Uh, we look on to the horizon, 2024, as I say, 31 days ahead of us here. Uh, what are some of the things that you're anticipating uh, being in the, the opening months of the new year? Well, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, that we're right around the corner from 2024. So we're ending out the year with our year-end giving. If anybody's interested, it's friendsofrealoptions.net. And you'll find a donate button to help us end our year strong so that in 2024, our goal is to safeguard over 7,100 lives next year through our clinics, through our risk avoidance curriculum in local schools, and our reproductive loss healing programs. So we would love people to join us in partnership in that way. And we currently have 601 lives pledged out of the 7,200 for next year. So we break it down. It costs $687 to save a life. And uh, that's because we pay our nurses as well as we can. We're here in the Bay Area paying for five leases and our budget's almost $5 million to do this work. But life is worth it. And also January brings Sanctity of Human Life Month. And our team is ready to go into churches and community groups and anywhere we're invited. If a pastor would like to highlight the sanctity of life. And what I love about it is whenever I go into a church and talk about life and talk about safeguarding lives, I realize there are many people in the pews in our churches who are hurting from a past abortion. And I don't want what I'm sharing that's positive to bring up the negative pain that they've been carrying for possibly many, many years. And so the Lord gives me an opportunity to share about my own past abortion and the fact that God has healing and forgiveness for all of us. And we have these beautiful reproductive loss retreats, Rachel's Vineyard retreats five times a year. And every week, Thursday evening, online support groups so that people can learn how to walk through this and learn how to forgive ourselves as women especially but even men that are hurting from past abortion choices um, can learn how to forgive themselves receive what god has for them and become forgiven and set free and part of that is truly you know grieving the life of that child and memorializing the life of that child even if it's just in a small support group in a very private and very sacred uh, confidential way, but it's it would be a good, healthy thing to do. The Lord needs us all to be completely um, full of his spirit and full of, of uh, his goodness and ready to move on and 
in prayer and all the things that are going on in the world today were needed to be the light. And we can't all be the light if we're hurting so much inside. So I like to encourage that, uh, as well as our Walk for Life celebration coming up in March, March, Saturday, March 2nd at Marshall Cottle Park in San Jose. And that's another fun community awareness event to look forward to in 2024. Good stuff. Well, we're going to help folks to... uh find out more by going online you can simply go to friendsofrealoptions.net to get more information about some of the events coming up at the dawn of the new year again uh, sanctity of human life of course in the month of january and the walk for life coming up uh, shortly thereafter in march information again available online at friendsofrealoptions.net that's friendsofrealoptions.net our thanks to ceo valerie hill for that update 532 from kfax and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Israel, my my, the um, ceasefire has been extended, at least for a bit more, giving greater opportunity for more hostages to be able to escape to freedom and safety. But it is a tragic scenario. And as you know, if you've been watching the headline news, even around our own country, uh, <laughs> the number of people that have stood up to protest Uh, against Israel's response with giving scant acknowledgement as to why Israel has been forced to react. It's pretty troubling. I mean, it's disturbing to watch some people that will line up to defend terrorist acts in some ways, I guess, similar to those that defended Russia's act of war against Ukraine and yet be totally silent in relationship to the true victim, the initial victim. Timothy Head, uniquely qualified to give us some insights on this. He has just returned from a trip to the Middle East. He is a former Christian missionary from that part of the world and serves currently as the executive director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Timothy, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Wow, you had a chance to get a chance to to really truly be at ground zero, including, I understand, an opportunity to visit Kafar Aza, the kibbutz that was attacked uh, in the wee early morning hours uh, back in October and, and literally mutilated and murdered thousands of, of innocent people, men, women, and children while they were still asleep in their beds. Give us your kind of 30,000-foot-high view of, of what's going on and, and, and how the Israeli people are dealing with all this. Well, thanks for having me on, and thanks for talking about such a, a critical issue like this. You know, one of, one of the uh, the really paramount uh, priorities for us on this trip and returning from, from the trip that you're alluding to uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, almost two weeks ago, we, we spent about three and a half days there. And, uh, and, and you know, our, our kind of payment uh, um, in that whole process was, was that we would tell their stories. And, um, and, and you know, so it's... You know, frankly, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, some of the stories are, are too grisly and, and barbaric to even uh, kind of say and, and, and even um, almost acknowledge. Um, but, uh, but you know, suffice to say, um, I mean, it's just an incredibly resilient people uh, and, and also uh, just an incredibly committed people. You know, I think a lot of people around the world would, and given, given the, the situations that they're in, uh, would just go to a different place, uh, but uh, but uh, you know I think all Israelis, but especially those that live 
uh, kind of um, in, in the, the hinterlands, you know, either close to Gaza or close to the Lebanese border or in the, in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. Uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a true calling of theirs. This isn't just a matter of, you know, they were born in this town and they're going to stay there. Uh, they believe absolutely that uh, that this is their 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 birthright, their God-given birthright, and um, and they're going to they're going to stay. They're going to uh, defend that uh, literally, even with their sacred blood. And uh, and so you know, I, I do think it's uh, it's so important. You know, October the seventh goes gets a little bit further into the the rearview mirror for most of the world. And it's important for uh, for folks like yourself. To continue to tell the story, continue to remind the public uh, of the atrocities then, and uh, uh, countervailing uh, voices, I, I guess you could say, around the world that are still trying to push that kind of into into our distant memory. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and you know, almost in real time, uh, rewriting the narrative, rewriting history. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that there aren't ways in which we can be concerned for the suffering of both sides uh, and, and, and and to be sure there's a lot of bad blood there is not decades there is you know uh, centuries if not millennia uh, to that degree and so keeping the historical perspective I think is important but at the end of the day a sovereign nation has a right to defend itself uh, an obligation uh, even still to defend itself and uh, when, when you look at the coordinated plan attack and the degree of infrastructure that that and I'm sure you heard these stories Timothy this must have been not months in the making this must have been years in the planning to to build this elaborate system of of tunnels underground that have you know absent of, of maybe even air conditioning maybe maybe they even went that far i don't know but 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 to see what went into this clearly the notion of being able to create as much pain much carnage much suffering as they could inflict upon innocent israelis uh was something that had been in the plan and in the works for a long time well, uh, there's no doubt about that. So you talked about, you know, the, the years in the making as it relates to, to tunnels. But bear in mind that most of the headquarters and also the, the arsenals that uh, store munitions and, um, you know, uh, kind of missile um, missile systems uh, were built in basements. They were literally like architected into the basements of hospitals and, uh, and schools uh, and also mosques. Uh, so, I mean, it, it built into the infrastructure of, of the literal architecture of this place was how do we hide uh, our either um, important personnel or important, um, uh, you know, um, ammunition, et cetera, from um, any kind of attack that would be frowned upon by the United Nations. I mean, that's how kind of grafted into the everyday kind of workings of, of uh, Hamas and the structure in Gaza, uh, literally from from the word go. You know, I've been to that part of the world. It is, by, by no stretch of the imagination, a, a wealthy part of the world. And we, again, look at the amount of planning and coordination and resources that it must have taken. Do you, you get the sense, as many of us, Timothy, that this is almost a proxy war, meaning we can look at this and say, yeah, okay, Hamas, they're responsible, they're taking 
taking credit for it. Um, but it would seem to me that there are other much better funded, much larger bad actors that have to be working behind the scenes because I just can't imagine how, um, given just the, the fiscal realities alone, that they would be able to pull off something as 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 deeply embedded and as sophisticated as this. So in, in your mind, does this smack of having uh, Iran's signature, for example, all over it, maybe Syria too? I don't think there's any doubt about that, uh, Craig. And, and uh, you know, frankly, anybody in the intelligence community, um, uh, frankly, there, there's, there's not even a, a second guessing or a second thought about that, uh, which is why, um, you know, we, uh, we at Faith and Freedom uh, uh, penned and, uh, and had about 15 different faith leaders from across the country join a letter that we sent to Congress just a couple of days ago. Um, uh, among the seven recommendations that we're calling on Congress to pass are uh, a couple of recommendations particularly targeted towards, uh, one, uh, freezing the $6 billion and now actually an additional $10 billion uh, that have been sent to uh, Iran by this administration, uh, presidential administration, which uh, we believe is foolhardy. And then secondly, uh, requiring any um, uh, requiring sanctions against Iran and also requiring the U.S. Senate to um, to basically have to uh, to agree with any new uh, agreements that that, uh, that this administration um, enters into with Iran or any other um, uh, uh, Iran ally in the region, uh, because clearly Iran is, is kind of the big brother in all of this. And unfortunately, we're we're we all as, as American taxpayers literally are are uh, part of the finance mechanism of these attacks at this point. Yeah, undoubtedly so. Well, Timothy, we appreciate you not only uh, helping keep our listeners here in uh, the greater San Francisco Bay Area informed, but as well uh, your, your ongoing work uh, to shine a light into uh, the background of what's transpired and that we can all be in support of and in prayer for Israel and uh, pray that some way, somehow, someday we can see peace in the Middle East. I fear it, it may be a case that it won't happen until Jesus returns, but, you know, who knows? we got to keep praying. Timothy Head, Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, thanks so much for the update. 545 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was a number of years ago in China, deep in the interior, that we had a chance to meet a man whose name really isn't important, but the work that he did for the kingdom was critically important. China, as you may or may not be aware, has more than 80 minority people groups. And this one man, concerned about his own people group and the fact that for the history of printed scripture, never had a Bible in their own language. God put the burden on his heart to translate God's word, Genesis to Revelation, into his own minority people group's language so that they, for themselves, could read and study God's word. So he said about the business of translating, took him about three and a half years to accomplish this. And finally, having done so, went to the business of printing these Bibles. Eventually, the communist authorities found out, came in, arrested him, put him in jail for three years, collected up all the Bibles, and destroyed the original printing plates. When he was released from jail three years later, the burden was no less great than it was in the beginning. And he set about for the second time in a row to translate the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from Genesis to Revelation with a burning passion in his heart that his own people group had to be able to read God's word in their own language. Well, eventually the authorities caught on. This time came in, 
collected up all the Bibles, destroyed those along with the printing plates, and sent him to jail for five years. When he was released from jail, you would have thought he had learned his lesson that the authorities finally, after having spent the sum total of eight years in prison and receiving a number of beatings because he was translating God's word contrary to Chinese communist official authorities' desire, you thought he would have learned his lesson, but no. The impression that he had on his heart for the necessity of his own people to read God's word in their own language, in fact, had grown stronger. And so for the third time in a row... He set about the business of translating God's Word chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from Genesis to Revelation. You wouldn't think much of the man to meet him. In fact, the day we met him, he was dressed in dirty jeans, a soiled jacket, and flip-flops. While wouldn't leave much of an impression to you by the eye, the stature of that man in the kingdom was as great as any of the apostles. The importance of people groups, minorities be able to read God's Word in their own language all over the globe has been the goal of Wycliffe Bible translators for many, many years now. And, of course, many of us know the story of, of Wycliffe. Joining me on the program today is Andy Ring. Andy is a translation advisor for Wycliffe Bible translators. Andy, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us today. Craig, thanks for having me. You know, that story of the man that I met in China that time a number of years ago has left such an indelible impression on my heart at this very day. And I think a lot of us here in, in the Western world, um, we take for granted the ease that we have, not just in the access to God's Word, but even the fact that it's available to us to read in our own language at all. Mm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that same story could be said over and over around the world, especially in West Africa, where I have worked for the last 30 years. We're seeing many people come forward with a, such a strong desire to translate the Bible into their own language. And uh, we in Wycliffe are, instead of just sending an individual to go to a remote area, we are now looking for those people who will come out and be trained to do their work and to do it even faster than we can. Help us understand in terms of the enormity of the challenge that um, organizations like Wycliffe are facing when we talk about um, the translation process of God's Word into a local minority or people group's language. Do you have any idea, Andy, just how many languages, how many people groups have yet to receive a copy of God's Word in their own language? Well, there are currently over 2,500 languages in the process of translation, and yet out of the world's just over 7,000 languages, we still have identified 2,400 that still need to be studied. And with this goal, along with many other organizations who have gotten in, come into the picture in the last um, 10 years, have set the goal of starting each of these languages by 2025. And that, of course, is an enormous goal when we talk about, as you say, upwards of 2,000 languages that have yet to be translated or some of which are still in process. And, and this notion of the importance of people being able to read God's Word in their own languages is critically important. You mentioned just before we came on the air today that you've just recently returned from Nigeria. I think of what is going on in that part of the world, uh, particularly with the onslaught of Islam coming in from the north. 
Uh, and that, of course, is true in, in many nations across the continent of Africa, but particularly troublesome for Nigeria. Uh, the onslaught of Islam is something that uh, that can best be targeted by the truth of God's word. But, but what do you do when there are minority people groups that can't read the Bible or if they come to Christ have no means of, of getting involved in discipleship? And as scripture tells us, studying to show one's self-approved if you don't have anything to study. And I guess therein lies the huge challenge. That's it. In fact, uh, the literacy rate in many of these places is uh, one to five percent. And in the case of Nigeria, you have uh, one-fifth of the population of Africa. You have one-fourth of all languages. There, with uh, surveys that are currently going on, there are around 500 languages in that country. And though over the last uh, 40 years, work has started in about 125, it looks now like um, there are still 250 languages that need translation, where the people are not bilingual enough to, to use another language. And sometimes that language, the trade language they use, is a language that encourages people to become Islamic. Mm-hmm. So our, our real hope is uh, to start uh, literacy development, uh, alphabet development, and to see the scriptures start to come into these languages. I know the, uh, the goal recently has been to not just start individual projects, but to invite the chiefs of these communities to send appropriate people, people who have a level of education where they can uh, continue to be trained and to learn to translate God's Word for themselves. And really, the excitement around that. I know um, five languages were invited to a workshop that started at the beginning of this year. Twelve communities sent workers, and uh, over 35 languages have been started just in the last five years. So there's a real multiplication of efforts. There's a cooperation between different agencies. And this is not something that's just limited to the Christian community, but everyone in those communities, including those from an Islamic background, want something written in their own language, because to think that God speaks their language is one of the most exciting things in a person's life. Indeed so, and of course, one of the most effective outreach tools that we can have as well and Andy you mentioned about that that target date of 2025 and I I think even ahead of that there's a sense of urgency we speak of what's been going on um, in uh, countries like Nigeria Darfur in the Sudan we've seen that of course highlighted in international news and so much of what is problematic in that part of the African continent has to do with the spread of Islam and and what's troublesome is that we're seeing huge numbers of new believers coming to Christ every single day uh, one of the fastest growing churches in fact anywhere on planet earth uh, is located in in Lagos Nigeria and uh, to watch people coming in by the droves uh, accepting Jesus Christ but now they speak a minority language or read a minority language, not having access to God's word, this becomes problematic because there's no way to get them into a firm foundation. They can't get involved in in study programs unless it's in a group fellowship kind of a thing because they don't have access to God's word. And so we, we run the risk of these believers falling away 
as quickly as they come to Christ because there's no effective means by which they might be immersed in the study and application of God's Word. This is what makes the work of Wycliffe so critically important. And um, toward that end, Andy, you're going to be here in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, sharing with folks over the course of a number of days uh, a lot of not just the work that you have been doing personally uh, there on the continent of Africa, what's going on in Nigeria, but a, a glimpse into the urgency of this throughout, I understand, the entire 1040 window. Yes, Craig, um, that that is what we're here to do. I've, like I said, I've just come back from Africa about two weeks ago, specifically to help out in this effort to make the work of Wycliffe known to people the opportunity to take part in the excitement, the challenge, really, the challenge of going to these places and equipping local people to do the work and to see this challenge of reaching these communities by 2025. This is our hope. So thanks for giving us the opportunity to share. And as you point out, in most of these countries, uh, it is a team effort as people are coming together, they're sending volunteers, they're dedicating themselves to assist those working in Bible translation. And that sense of team effort really expands beyond local communities. It expands beyond the work of the Wycliffe Bible translators to you and me. Uh, to number one, learn of what God is doing, what the opportunities are, what the challenges are, and then what we can do to step up and fill the gap and and partner with organizations like Wycliffe to make a difference. And as Andy mentioned, we are watching millions swept away into eternity without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wycliffe Associates volunteers are aiding in that struggle to help stem that tide by helping Bible translators concentrate on the goal of a vision 2025 that can provide translations for people living throughout the 1040 window uh, to reach that goal. And it's an urgent goal in doing so. And our thanks to Andy Ring for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. Andy, safe travels to you. And again, thanks so much for your time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.